Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Tonight, it's a new episode of All Rise, the legal drama where one judge is shaking up the system. When I take the bench, I'm taking a vow to fight for justice. One case at a time. Your Honor. We're going to trial. Simone Misick is Judge Lola Carmichael. Up on that bench. Everything is different. A new episode of All Rise. Freedom is at stake. It's important. Followed by a new episode of Bull, tonight at 9, 8 central on CBS. For over a year, BuzzFeed News reporters Anthony Cormier and Jason Leopold had been reporting on President Trump and his campaign's ties to Russia, breaking major stories and trying to follow the money. We had both been fantasizing about this mother load. I just remember Anthony was like, oh my God, oh my God. They'd received thousands of secret government documents that revealed that banks all over the world had moved money for terrorists and criminals and drug dealers. And the U.S. government knows about it. We see actual human beings pulling the levers that allow this sort of criminal misconduct to go on. I'm Azine Gureshi. Join me for our new podcast, Suspicious Activity, Inside the FinCent Files. We'll dive into the story these secret documents tell and take you behind the scenes with my colleagues at BuzzFeed News as they reported it. I've never seen anything like it in my life. Find it on Radio.com, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your shows. Radio FNZ back with you on a Tuesday. Big thanks to my boy Roman Harper for hanging out with us during the lunch hour. That's that's our new routine. Back in the middays, and we got Roman on Tuesdays during the lunch hour. Coach Matt Darty doing the same on Thursdays. So we're keeping the band together. Smitty's back tomorrow. And speaking of Smitty, uh, a big story about the Steve Smith Family Foundation that came out late last night, early this morning. And we'll talk about that coming up in just a bit. But first, to kick off the final hour of the show, we welcome back our good buddy Chip Patterson of CBSSports.com. You can follow him on Twitter at Chip underscore Patterson. He is back with us on the Technicom hotline. Chip, how are you, buddy? I'm doing all right, Kyle. I hope today's going well for you. Pretty well, pretty well, all things considered. I appreciate that. Let me uh, let me start with the Wyndham this weekend. Uh, Jim Herman, I believe his third PGA Tour win, a pretty successful outing for Harold Varner III, who is obviously a, a local fan favorite. Give me Chip Patterson's quick recap of uh, Wyndham up in Greensboro. Um, you know, death taxes, Webb Simpson finishing in the top ten at Sedgefield Country Club. The mayor stays the mayor. Wasn't able to chase down the, uh, you know, Bedminster country club uh golf pro but you know i thought that he still delivered on everything that we expected from him and he continues to be in there in the conversation with justin thomas and colin marikawa for pga tour player of the year strong finish the harold varner position is interesting because as we go into the uh playoffs he does need to do a little bit of work as we move to tpc boston in order to try to put himself in a position uh, to try and extend his time in the playoffs. And so I think there's a big spotlight on him. And in that sense, while he had a strong showing, you would have hoped that for a player who's still looking for that first PGA Tour win and who I've even talked about on this show, it feels like it's right around the corner. You know, would have loved to see a little bit more there. The other big headlines for me coming out of the weekend uh, really probably focused on Jordan Spieth as he seems to not really have 
a whole lot of confidence in where his game is at. He's already talking about having his eyes on the 2021 season. And then Brooks Kepka missed cut. Looks like he was battling on Friday a little bit, and then a triple bogey at the 10th ends up getting him bounced. Like, I, I don't know how long Brooks Kepka is going to stick around uh, in this run. You know, players of his caliber normally do not play six, seven, eight events in a row, and he's on uh, a pretty pretty long bender of a, of a run on the PGA Tour. So, you know, not, not what you wanted to see from Jordan Spieth, not what you wanted to see from Brooks Kepka, and now two world-class, multiple-time major champions seem lost with their games and, and don't really look like they're going to be a factor in the playoffs. Chip, let me let me bounce something off you before I get to the college football stuff. I had a, a listener or two bring this up last week, and, and being that you also cover the PGA, I think you've got really good perspective on this. Uh, one in particular last week saying, KB, the truth is Tiger Woods just really isn't a threat to win majors anymore and that it's just a, a media, the, the insistence of the media to continue to hype him up when they go into major tournaments, uh, you know, like the PGA Championship, but the reality is Tiger's not a real threat anymore. What do you make of that uh you know the media narratives don't have anything to do with world ranking it's one of the most uh scientific aspects of of the golf world and you know there to the point that uh, there are people who look down on the world rankings because it is so scientific that you win certain events or you go play in this tournament you get some world ranking points but there's no media narrative behind the idea that tiger woods uh, yeah, he's not the number one player in the world, but you can't argue that he's not, you know, one of the 10 to 15 best. Now he's down there in the 40s in terms of the FedEx Cup standings, but we're talking about the reigning Masters champion. If you're a reigning major champion, and if you have had some of the success that Tiger Woods has had since, you know, the 2018 season, I mean, he was, I, I didn't think that his body was going to hold up at TPC Harding Park. And he grinded, man. He, he was grinding out there like a 68 on Thursday, 67 on Sunday. He's making cuts where players like, you know, Jordan Spieth and Brooks Kepka might not be. And so I, I think that Tiger Woods is not a media narrative as one of the 10 to 15 best golfers in the world. And I don't think you're seeing anyone in the media uh, try and treat him as though he, uh, he is the number one threat to win. That's where it's somebody like the Justin Thomas or Bryson DeChambeau. Chip Patterson, CBSSports.com. You can follow him on Twitter at Chip underscore Patterson. He's with us on the Technicom guest line. All right, Chip, um, it's weird to center conversations about a global pandemic and a university sending all of its students back off campus around uh, the likelihood or viability of college football, but this is sports radio and it's what we do. UNC did make that decision yesterday to uh, to, to go to full remote learning and it led a lot of people, especially those in our business, to then wonder what that means for the viability of college football this fall, be it on, in Chapel Hill or, or various other college towns across the country. What did you make of the decision, and, and where are you on what that could mean for college football? If college football is willing to embrace a, an environment where student-athletes are in college sports and the university hiring, they're willing to embrace an environment where student-athletes are some of the only people on campus, then you are going to give yourself a better chance of finishing the college football season. Chip, I think we have a little bit of an issue with the phone light here. I'm, I'm going to let Hacksaw, and by the way, Hacksaw's in studio. I'm going to put Chip on hold, 
and let Hacksaw clear up that uh, that phone line. It sounded like he clicked into some Bluetooth, some kind of Bluetooth situation. We'll get that cleaned up for you and uh, and get Chip Patterson back on the line. While we wait, for those asking, we do have the Bailey Betts coming up here in just a couple of minutes. A uh, little bit of a uh, an impromptu, uh, you know, by committee type of, of situation here today with smoke out and thankfully Preppy and Hacksaw chipping in to, uh, to handle the load. So Preppy had to run. Hacksaw's in early. He's handling that over there. We'll try to get Chip back on the line to figure out what's going on. But yeah, again, the Bailey Bats will come up here in a couple of minutes. Hot start for us uh, on the week. Could have been 3-0, and but a 2-0 and start last night with a couple of NBA overs hitting. And I got a couple more of those for you here in just a few minutes. But I want to see what Chip thinks about, again, the decision by North Carolina to send its, uh, its students back off campus yesterday. And if that means that college football is less viable or if this creates a more conducive potentially safer environment for pulling off a college football season which then of course as i'm sure chip will touch on you know leads to some bringing up how this exposes the uh, the sham of amateurism and how you know these these players would then be looked at as essential employees then strengthening their case potentially you know to want more to want a revenue split to want you know full health coverage for the season to want six-year scholarships you know to allow them to uh, to, to finish degree requirements because the, the schedule and the demands of being a college athlete full-time are so demanding you know and, and so it is a multi-layered nuanced sometimes complex conversation it's never been easy and i we've been saying that for months you know since the the pandemic caused the great sports pause of 2020 and we began wondering about these sort of things what was viable what wasn't you know we kind of knew back then that pro sports leagues were better positioned to do some things that college sports weren't but uh, we can continue the conversation now. Chip Patterson back with us on the line. Chip, pick up where you left off, man. The UNC situation. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, you're just you're going to have a better chance to be able to pull this off. The least number of factors involved, the least number of people that are around, and you know the the idea that the insular community that the college football programs have been able to create, where as Mac Brown reports, they haven't had a positive test in the last month after initially having to shut things down then you're going to be able to have a chance to be able to finish the season. And if you know, they want to start the season, we'll see if they'll be able to finish the season. That's the, uh, that's the big question. Chip, the, the Big Ten's taken a lot of criticism. I, and I would say, and I think you'd agree with this, the Big Ten's taken a lot more criticism than the Pac-12 is. To, to your mind, why is that? Transparency. Yeah. The fact that the Pac-12 released uh, the full document released by, uh, that was like given by its medical advisors in terms of why they believed it was a bad idea to proceed. You know, I, I got an opportunity to read through those documents, and the things that stood out to me were, number one, its medical officials were not convinced that the universities in the Pac-12 were going to be able to get their hands on the kind of reliable and rapid testing that would be required in order to test enough for them to uh, give the advice to move forward. They also looked at where the schools were and what kind of health restrictions were in place. And the Pac-12 was facing a situation where at the start of training camp, there were going to be, uh, I think, three or four schools. So nearly a third or fourth or a third of your conference did not even have the guidance to be able to move forward from local health officials to conduct any kind of training camp. You could not gather in groups large enough for a college football team to properly prepare. And so with the local health officials throughout the Pac-12 footprint not having the kind of um, you know rules in place that would allow for a college football team to prepare with a lack of confidence in all the universities to be able to get 
reliable rapid testing. I mean, that really, to me, for looking at the documents, that really powered a lot of the decision-making process. The other thing that's happened is since the announcement came out, not only have they released in writing what their medical advisors said, but the university presidents have, have all been speaking with the media. They've all uh, stood together in the decision. And then in the Big Ten, we have not received as much information regarding the specific information, the specific medical advice that they got from their advisory board. Uh, we have not heard from uh, many university presidents in, t- in terms of the reporters that are reaching out and asking for comments about what drove the decision. And so the lack of transparency has led to a real backlash from Big Ten players, from Big Ten fans, and from the parents of Big Ten players. And I think that that's one of the big reasons that we're seeing uh, the Pac-12 not get the same kind of criticism that the Big Ten did. If the Big Ten had released a big old PDF, I don't think everybody would have read it, but enough of us would have read it that we would have been able to pinpoint the argument in finer detail. It's a great point. Chip, before I let you go, I, I've been wondering throughout this entire show how you would answer this question because I, you and I have such sometimes differing views on college football, and I've been wondering how Chip's going to answer this question. Reese Davis last night on the SEC Network Reveal saying he, he thinks that all Power 5 conferences should go to a 10-game conference schedule permanently moving forward. What do you think? I think that that would create uh, more... Uh, that would create more inventory for television. I think that would create better games and a higher value for college football in terms of um, consistently producing great, uh, great action um, for its fans and for the sport itself. I think that would also be bringing to an end a lot of great regional relationships that sort of have uh, longer-lasting impacts that go on off the field, on the recruiting trail, and sort of with the relationship between universities, between programs, and between coaching staff. And so I would hate to see some of those regional relationships come to an end in favor of playing a 10-game conference schedule. I do not disagree with the idea that it's better, that it produces a, a more worthy champion, and that it will, because of you know taking away some of the schedule imbalance, and that it will provide on a week-to-week basis better games for college football fans on television and in person. I agree with all that. But I, I think that some of the off-field aspects of it would be the what I would be sad to see go. Because when you go from uh, an eight- or nine-game schedule you know, to everyone being at a ten-game conference schedule, that's one or two games, depending on whether you're in the ACC, SEC, or the Big Ten, Pac-12, Big 12, that's one or two games that are getting lopped off the schedule. And, and more than likely, that was going to be uh, one that was either going to be, A, a great opportunity for your fan base uh, to have an event-style situation, B, uh, a great on-campus home-and-home, like what we would have seen with the second leg of LSU in Texas, where LSU's win in Austin was a, a large event-style scene, uh, or C, it's going to be the loss of an in-state or regional uh, companion and i think that you know those would be the things that i would uh i would be sad to see go well i think you and i line up pretty close on that answer i love it chip we appreciate you brother we'll talk to you next week all right sounds good y'all be well there you go chip patterson cbssports.com follow him on twitter at chip underscore patterson he covers college football college hoops and a little bit of pga tour for cbs sports and a longtime friend of the show we appreciate his time 704-570-9610 asa abloy phone lines building center text line you can always find us there we got a, a ways to go here plenty more to get to 
We'll hit you with the rewind coming up in about 25 minutes. Wilson and Parcell stick their head in about 30 minutes from now. But when we come back, speaking of college football, Nick Saban has weighed in on the idea of a spring season, and his answer might surprise you. You're in the clubhouse on Sports Radio FNZ. I double it, triple it. No, everything's about money. You know, networks don't talk about it. Government can't tax it. But sports betting is a $200 billion a year business. Love be a lady tonight. That's why you don't turn your mic on quite as early. The Bailey Bets. Well, we were perfect last night. We've had a development. Okay, I was watching other things last night. And all I saw across the ticker was Yankees-Red Sox postponed. Ah, that's all right. I had other plans tonight. NBA playoffs, hurricanes. So I was just going to let that one roll. But it turned out it was the other game. So we still won. 3-0. and 3-0 and again to start the night. Damn, sometimes it's better to be lucky than good. Especially in gambling. So a perfect start to the week. We stay hot. We'll try to keep it that way. A couple of games tonight. Well, also this afternoon in the NBA. Magic and Bucks, 11 minutes from now. Let's get it in quickly. Magic and Bucks, over 225. We're going over. The Bucks can just, their offensive explosions are incredible. All right? Uh, incredible. Magic and Bucks, over 225. Heat and Pacers, love this series. Really, really good fundamental basketball for the most part. <laughs> Heat and Pacers, over 215. We, I like the overs so far in these NBA playoffs. Here's why. That, that defensive intensity that seemingly gets ratcheted up during the playoffs, especially in these really hostile road environments, these loud home environments, it's not there. It's not there. Right? We're seeing the we're seeing offense. Like yesterday, for instance, the early game, the the over-under that we picked yesterday was at 215 in that uh, jazz and I'm drawing a blank here. I don't know why. The uh, the uh, help me out here. What's wrong with me, uh, Hacksaw? Hacksaw, that, that's what it is. The Jazz and the Nuggets, thank you. In that game, it was over two, over under 215. And I said yesterday, these teams combine on average for like 242 points. Take the over. They, they scored 260 points yesterday. Now, part of it was going to overtime, but they cleared it. So uh, the, the overs are hitting right now. And so we're just going to keep on riding them. Nothing wrong with that. So take the over. And then Astros, speaking of over, we got the Astros and the Rockies tonight. Over eight and a half. I like the runs. I like Houston. I mean, look, Houston's lineup, not quite as potent when they're not banging on trash cans. But I still like the over eight and a half. Same kind of thing. They're getting to bullpens. We're seeing some runs. I'm over happy right now. Over crazy. So, again, to recap, over 225 bucks in Magic. Over 215 Heat and Pacers. Over eight and a half. Rockies and Astros. And those are the Bailey bets. Man. Hopefully we can keep rolling tonight. Want to stay hot. Hacksaw Helbig is in studio with us this afternoon. Uh, he, he and Preppy have tag-teamed the mornings and the middays in the absence of young Evan Smoke Ludwig. Hacksaw, how you holding up over That's there? That's a horrible tag-team, by the way. Um, is it? But <laughs> is it, though? Yes. It's a horrible tag-team. You're doing a great job, though. Uh, thank you. On the fly. Um, I mean, that's when I work the best. Is it? Yeah. It's when you put me in a, like, you know, a role... <laughs> That's when I just start hacksawing everything. Yeah. Right now, I'm a professional. Later, I won't be. What do you mean right now? You're always a professional. <laughs> eh, some days. Some days you are, but most of the time you're a professional. <laughs> All right. So again, we're we're trying to stay hot with the Bailey bets. Ten and six last week. Two or three and zero oh start last night. I kind of I tried to cut myself short. <laughs> that's that's how I do things. Apparently, I told you before the break that the debate over whether or not college football can play a spring season. 
and do so successfully has continued to rage on, especially given that Justin Fields and uh, the, the rest of the pack or the Big Ten seemingly, at least Penn State, Iowa, Michigan, other programs have filed petitions. They've got a players or parents coalition trying to tell the back the, the Big Ten to reverse course, to reverse the decision not to play football. So, you know, there, there've been a lot of people out there, a lot of folks covering college football specifically, who when the Big Ten and Pac-12 announced their decision to play spring football said, that ain't going to work. How could that? That's just lip service. It's not going to work. You know, you, first of all, the, you're asking these kids to play 20 to 25 games in a calendar year. The top prospects aren't going to play. Uh, the medical professionals are saying the conditions are not likely to be that much different in February than they are right now in terms of packing stadiums. The spring football is not going to work. Now, a few have pushed back and said, yes, it could work. Jeff Braun, the head coach at Purdue, released his you know bulleted multi-point plan last week as to how to pull off a spring season successfully. And kudos to him. You know, for thinking outside the box, for being innovative, for trying to make a, you know, to, to make the best of a bad situation. But I, I remain highly skeptical that college football can play a meaningful season in the spring at all for a litany of reasons. But apparently Nick Saban also agrees. Nick Saban, uh, in a press conference this morning, this, this tweet coming directly from Alex Scarborough, he's a uh, college football reporter for ESPN.com. Uh, this came earlier this morning and Saban was asked, whether or not pro prospects, right, the, the guys with first and second round draft grades, would consider playing in the spring, to which Nick Saban responded, quote, is that going to become a JV season? End quote. You know, he's questioning this himself, but the, 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 the text, the uh, quote that's being widely circulated is that one. Is that going to become a JV season? Now, that, of course, brings the jokes from all the people making fun of the Pac-12 because, you know, their football has been less than over the past couple of years, outside of Washington's appearance in the, you know, the college football playoff. But, you know, making the jokes about Pac-12 football already being JV caliber football. I uh, heard an interesting discussion about that this morning, by the way. It just seems like the culture has shifted out there. I, I know there are some still diehard fans of Pac-12 football who care deeply and desperately about the college game and, and, and think the Pac-12 can get back consistently into the national conversation. Maybe they can. But... With UCLA fading each and every year and USC having all the money in the world it needs to, to, to be elite, but not really having the will to do so, according to the people around that program, you know, in Washington now with Peterson hanging it up, it, I, I don't know what's going to become of the, of the Pac-12. I, and I especially wonder what's going to become of Pac-12 football if the ACC, SEC and Big 12 forge ahead and pull off a season. I, I don't want to be hyperbolic about it. Because the truth is, I don't have a crystal ball, so I don't know exactly what the ramifications would be for a conference like the Pac-12. But I think it follows logically that if the ACC and the SEC and Big 12 forge ahead and not just play a season, but successfully pull off a season, that that is a, a catastrophic scenario for the Pac-12 especially. Now, in the Big 10... Ohio State, even if they don't play, Ohio State's going to be okay. Michigan could conceivably be okay. Penn State could conceivably be okay. But what about a school like Iowa? You know, Kirk Ferentz has been, in some ways, the model of consistency up there. That program finds itself in the Rose Bowl every couple of years. You know, but they're not dominant year in, year out. Iowa's not a hotbed for high school football. You know, Iowa's not in the same conversation as the upper crust of college football's powerhouses every year. What happens to them? What happens to Nebraska? You know, where the, the, the passion is 
forever burning for college football out in Lincoln, but if they were to miss a season, I mean, that, 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 this is why Scott Frost and the people out there are so incensed about this because they justifiably or not feel like their program might, might finally be back in the moving in the right direction. And now they're staring down the barrel of missing an entire season. As you could go on down the list of the other Big Ten programs that you know may never be the same, at least not for a long time, if they don't play a season and these other Power Five conferences do. There will be recruiting implications to that. People will roll their eyes at it, and that's fine. I understand to a degree why. But let's not be, you know, willfully obtuse here and pretend like if these three conferences play in the Big Ten and Pac-12 don't, that there won't be fallout from that. Because there will be. Because, again, whether or not you prioritize it the same way, and odds are you may not, these recruits and friends of those recruits and the parents of those recruits and those around them are going to be saying, well, they don't take this as seriously in the Pac-12 as they do in the Big 12 or the ACC or the SEC. They just don't take it as seriously. So why would you go to a school like that? I know it's going to sound absurd to some people because of where your priorities might lie, and college football might be not at the top of your priority list. But that will be something that happens. Never mind, you know, in some cases, lost revenue that will have lingering effects. In some cases, it's worth pointing out that some programs will actually save money by not playing as opposed to playing a season. That is absolutely the case. In fact, I would venture to guess that most of them will. But I can't help but wonder, too, about this development from over the weekend where the NBA, a couple of months ago, made the decision to fund the study out of Yale that led to, I believe it was Sunday's news, that this new saliva direct testing method that is now FDA approved could be not just a game changer for the general public, but especially for sports. I said earlier, say what you want to about the NBA. Progressive politics, you know, too much involved in social issues, whatever your stance may be, you can accuse the NBA of a lot of things. But what the NBA absolutely is, is the most progressive league in American sports. So on top of showing the rest of American sports that ball can be played safely in a bubble, they may have now or may now be responsible for funding the study and the development of a saliva-based test out of Yale that is not just a breakthrough and a game changer and now FDA approved, which is an important distinction, by the way, because I've seen some people in the last couple of days say, well, they've been doing some similar things like this at you know, Arizona and Arizona State. They've been using these saliva-based tests. That's true, at least as far as I can tell, but they weren't FDA approved. This new test gets your results apparently in minutes, and it is extremely scalable, meaning you're not worried about you know, a long wait time for manufacturing and distribution and everything else. It's immediately scalable, and it reportedly cuts the cost of a test down from $100 to $4. So if that is a game changer in the way that it's being described by many, not just in greater society but in sports, does that make the Big Ten's decision to do so or to, to cancel football when it did a mistake? And by that I mean should they have waited a bit longer? Should they have taken the approach of the SEC, the ACC, and the, the, the Big 12 and held out as long as they could? To see what developments came because again now I, I think i'm not the only one that is fascinated by what's been developed here at yale and what that could mean for the immediate future of sports yes the larger society more important but sports still very important still a big slice of the american economy that's big it's really big so between all that happening and the players and parents coalition in the big 10 going after kevin warren if you've not been keeping up with this story and you're at all interested in college football 
you, you need to check it out. You, you need to look into it because there is an avalanche of criticism, of activism, of movement of sorts demanding that Kevin Warren reverse course and reinstate the 2020 Big Ten college football season, at least for now. I don't know if they'll win out. I think it might be in many ways worse PR if they do reverse course, even if it might be the right decision to some. I'm fascinated to see what they do with this, but I, 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 I can't believe that there won't be ramifications and consequences long-term for the Big Ten and Pac-12 if the other three Power Five conferences follow through and, and play a college football season. Hit us up, Asa Abloy phone lines, building center text line, 704-570-9610. We'll hit you with the rewind coming up in the next segment. And I'm curious to see what Wilson and Parcell think about this North Carolina development and, and what they think about some of what's coming out of Panthers training camp. I'm sure they'll get into this stuff later in, the, in, in their show this afternoon. But there's a lot coming out of Panthers training camp that's worth talking about. Have they found some wide receiving depth? You know, is Omar Bayless the, the steal of this year's class not even draft class because of course omar bayless out of arkansas state was an undrafted free agent signing with the panthers but they need some wide receiver depth omar bayless could help give them that you know is pharaoh cooper going to be more than a kick returner boy that'd be great wouldn't it i mean not just for him being a local product played at south carolina but in this joe brady offense you got to have wide receiver depth so there's a lot to get to on the panthers front and bad news out of that organization a couple of minutes back actually about an hour or two ago joe person reporting that the Panthers have uh, announced, I think it was actually Elena Getzenberg who first had the story, but the Panthers announcing another round of another round of layoffs and furloughs. 20 employees laid off or furloughed through February. If that doesn't give you a good glimpse into you know, what, uh, what all these organizations are dealing with right now, I don't know what does, man. I mean, if, if the NFL teams that intend to play a season this fall are still laying off and furloughing people, it's not a good sign. And you hate to hear it fundamentally for those who've lost their jobs, even if only temporarily. We'll come back. We'll catch you up on the Rewind. We'll check in with Wilson and Parcel. You're in the clubhouse on Sports Radio FNZ. Sports Radio FNZ back with you on a Tuesday. Big thanks to everybody, Roman Harper, to Chip Patterson, to Joe Ovius, Rick Bunnell, all sorts of folks to thank. It's been a lot of fun on a Tuesday. And, well, the uh, the, the onslaught, the smorgasbord of sports continues. Last night was another night of an unprecedented time of so many sports happening all at the same time. The only thing we're really missing at this point is football. And not really even fully missing that because we do have some NFL training camp going on, signaling the start of another football season. And if there's one thing I feel really confident in right now, and as it pertains to football, the NFL is going to play. You know, they've, they've got a players association, you know, collectively bargaining on their behalf. And it seems like the players who were you know, pretty upset about the, the conditions or more specifically the health and safety protocols being met weeks ago, well, they all seem much, much happier with what's happening. And training camp's in effect. And, you know, there, there is a feeling, as we talked about yesterday, of, well, let's call it detachment because these are not the usual training camps going on around the country that you can't visit your favorite team's training camp, open practice. You know, in Spartanburg, there's no, you know, 2000 people or whatever the case may be sitting on the side of a hill you know, fans asking for autographs, multiple practice fields going off at one time. It's, it's none of that. You, you can watch. And by the way, kudos to the Panthers for providing a live stream of, of some of these practices at Panthers.com, which has been a really cool way 
to keep fans involved and engaged and and you know paying attention to Carolina in training camp. Kudos to them, and it, and it seems like a simple thing, but I know it means a lot to the Panthers fans that I've seen reacting to it online and and elsewhere who live and die by this team and, and want to know every single thing that's going on. Even Joseph Charlton's wayward punts, they want to know it all. Uh, right now, how much there is to know about this team? Well, there's always plenty to know. How much of it is encouraging and giving you reason for optimism? Well, I guess that's in the eye of the beholder, but I think there's plenty of reason for optimism around this team. If nothing else, I think they're going to be interesting. And, you know, you'd like to be more than interesting. You'd like to be a contender. You'd like to be winning all the time, but yeah, that's not possible every single year for every single franchise. But I think Carolina's off to a good start in terms of trying to get back to being a perennial NFC South contender and, and getting back to being a possible perennial playoff contending team. I, I don't think it's remotely out of the realm of possibility that this team could be a playoff team in 2021 if the rebuilding and developmental efforts go well this year. So we'll see where it goes. Uh, a few more people, and one in particular, just chiming in to, uh, to see if I had any thoughts on Fernando Tatis Jr.'s Grand Slam last night. Oh, I've got thoughts, and I've shared many of them earlier in the show during the lunch hour, actually during the late of the 11 o'clock hour. If you want to check it out, you know where, radio.com app, the rewind feature. It's like DVR for radio. So we got into that late in the 11 o'clock hour. Oh, but I've got thoughts. Fernando Tatis Jr., last night against the Rangers, already had one home run and ended up hitting a second home run against the Rangers that would make him, for now, the home run leader in Major League Baseball. The real story, though, is that the Padres were already up seven runs. And Fernando Tatis Jr. was in the box and had worked a 3-0 count in his advantage, in his favor. According to his manager, Jace Tingler, he got a take sign from the third base coach. But instead of, but apparently he missed that take sign. That might be up for debate because it was a 3-0 count and Fernando Tatis Jr. likely knew there was a fastball coming and probably one right down Park Avenue, which was the case. And he turned that bad boy around and hit a grand slam. Well, when he did so, uh, Rangers manager Chris Woodward was visibly mad in the Rangers dugout, thought it was bad etiquette. They were running up the score, disrespectful. One of those unwritten rules of baseball, many of which are in fact stupid. And this is coming from a diehard baseball fan. Some of these unwritten rules are and always have been stupid. Fernando Tatis hit a grand slam on a 3-0 count, and it put them up 14-3 instead of a seven-run advantage. On top of making the Rangers manager upset, he apparently had his own manager mad at him, who then kind of threw him under the bus and called him out in the postgame with the media, who said, oh, he, he missed a, a, take, a take sign on that 3-0 count, and I, I talked to him about that. Okay, how about you don't? Because he did his job. Uh, it was the most exciting play in baseball. The man hit a grand slam. And that's what baseball needs more of. Like beyond just my opinion, we talked about this earlier. Trevor Bauer chimed in at like 2 a.m. this morning. A major league pitcher telling Fernando Tatis, keep doing what you're doing. Keep swinging on 3-0 counts. You know, keep being flashy and fun and entertaining. Keep doing it. The only thing you messed up was apologizing for it. Don't do that. And then, of course, the legendary Johnny Bench also weighing in about two hours ago on Twitter. Johnny Bench saying the exact same thing. He said, okay, so he takes on 3-0. Then he's at a 3-1 count if he throws a strike, which the ball was a strike. Then he said, then the pitcher throws a great setup pitch and works the count to full. It's 3-2. And then Tatis grounds what? Into a double play and ends the inning? He said, 3-0 is a great hitter's count. Keep swinging on 3-0. And he, and he tagged Fernando Tatis in it. Like It, it is mind-boggling to me that the unwritten rules of baseball would dictate that Fernando Tatis Jr. did something wrong by hitting a grand slam. 
if he missed a take sign on 3-0, well, then pull him aside in the clubhouse after the game and say, hey, you know you missed a take sign, right? Don't do it again. And that's it. It's over. But instead, Jace Tingler throws him under the bus in the post-game press conference, I, I guess to soothe the feelings of, of Chris Woodward and the Rangers. I don't care. As a baseball fan, I want more grand slams, more home runs, more flashiness, more excitement, because that's what the game needs. It's so dumb. I'm so tired of hearing about you know, running up the score in professional sports. You're pros. If you don't want to get blown out, do something about it. And don't use the unwritten rules of baseball to chastise one of the great young stars in the game, who again is now the home run leader in Major League Baseball, because Chris Woodward and the, the, the Rangers got their feelings hurt. By the way, they promptly threw at Manny Machado right after Tatis hit the home run. Some of these unwritten rules I'm fine with. A lot of them, like this one, insanely stupid. I, I just don't understand why baseball players and the baseball, I don't know, the, the industrial complex would continue to support this stuff. Let the game be exciting. Everybody outside of Rangers fans last night loved seeing a home run, a grand slam, instead of a walk. How about you let the fans be happy and excited? How about that? All right, we got to catch you up on what you've missed. I don't think I have it, Hacksaw. I don't think I have it. (laughs) Well, we might have to wait on that for a second. We have a little bit of a technical snafu, though that's been kind of the case today. Our our Wi-Fi went down to start the show. It's been uh, an adventure. And, and of course, Smoke couldn't be with us today. So I think, by and large, we've done a a decent chance or a decent job. The the impromptu nature of the show. Anyway, uh, we had somebody chime in a second ago saying, been around baseball my entire life. Swinging at a 3-0 pitch is not an unwritten rule. Whoever said that is an idiot. Stealing home or squeezing with a big lead, yes, you do not do. No, that's I, I agree with you. It shouldn't even be considered an unwritten rule. It's more about apparently you know, running up the score or blowing out the Rangers. That's what the hurt feelings were over. But that's not a good enough reason for a manager to throw his star under the bus in a post-game press conference to soothe somebody else's feelings. I mean, you've got a guy, and, and and never mind the fact that Fernando Tatis Jr. and most of these players, especially star players, have you know incentives in their contracts that allow them to make more money. Bonuses. Bonuses. And, <laughs> and, and, and so he's supposed to not take a cut at what was a meatball fastball because unwritten rules? Come on, man. Somebody says, you you keep mentioning Tatis, but you haven't mentioned that the game was still in doubt. The Grand Slam was effectively a game-ending home run and should be celebrated. Yeah, no, I hear you. But with a seven-run lead, though we know for the most part that a seven-run lead is not always insurmountable, it was a sizable enough lead that it made the Rangers and players in that dugout mad because they were offended because it seemed like they were you know, getting uh, blown out unnecessarily. I see what you're saying. You know, that the the game was still the game wasn't in doubt, as you put it. Seven runs is not insurmountable, but it was a big enough lead that at least the interpretation of the Rangers and apparently Jay Singler was such that it was inappropriate to hit a dinger. I don't know. It's stupid. The whole thing is dumb. All right. Parcells in studio. I'm not sure we're going to get the rewind to you today, but as he uh, plugs himself in. We'll bring him in real quick. There you go. Get that thing off. Axel, turn this man's mic off. He's putting his windscreen there off. There we go. What you got for hey. me? Hey. How's it going? Uh, Good. I, I stumbled in here the last second of your Tatis take. So I, I take it you have a uh, you have an ounce of common sense and you are not upset at Tatis? Or you are upset at Tatis? No, not in the slightest. All right, good. Thank you. The, he oh, he, did, he did something that literally everybody watching outside of Rangers fans was excited about. Yeah, it was awesome. <laughs> like, what, what is this deal? Are there any unwritten rules in baseball that you like? 
I'm, I, I'm not. I mean, I'm not asking that skeptically. No, I'm being no, no, serious. No. I mean, I think there are some that, like you know, if a guy's coming in too hard to break up a double play and injures your shortstop, okay, comes in, you know, his spikes too high, hurts somebody, yeah, you okay, know, plunk him the next time up. I'm fine with that. I don't have any issue with that. If you're protecting one of your guys, mm-hmm. then go for it. You know, but the fact that the Rangers and Chris Woodward were this incensed because what they were running up the score. Yeah. I mean, this is still baseball. Guys are hitting home runs usually at best once every 25, 35, 50 at bats. And, you know, you three times out of 10 is good enough to make you a star in this sport. So you throw a meatball fastball against a professional hitter. What do you think he's going to do? Exactly. And they threw up Machado the next at bat, right? I'm pretty sure they threw oh, behind no, they Machado. They threw the next, behind Machado yeah. the very next at bat. Come on, <laughs> this stuff is so annoying. Like, get it, people got to get over themselves. And like, and to the, I, th- I think you put it really well just a minute ago. No, the game was not in doubt, but it was still reasonable that a comeback could maybe happen. I mean, it's we've seen it before. To your point, it's not. It, we don't see seven run comebacks every day, but I remember what was it just last week? Just one random game. I remember the Rockies and Diamondbacks. I think the Rockies had like a six run lead in the ninth, and Diamondbacks scored five runs. I mean, you just you never know. So I have no problem with that home run. I don't understand anybody who does. It seems weird to me. No, and and I've got a few people pointing out to me a box score from when the the time the Rangers beat the Orioles thirty to three. Um, now, of course, that was that was back in 2007, which predates Chris Woodward that. and company. But still, oh. you know, the, the Rangers as an organization in the last 15 years have beaten a team 30 to three. Man, in pro sports, run it up, run it up. Who cares? You, in, in, it, look, if this is six year olds, maybe there's a mercy rule. OK, but th- these are adults. These are grown ass men. And we're talking about, oh, I didn't want to run it up. And it was the Padres manager it was the one who's all worried yeah. about running it up. Like, come on, man. It's, yeah, both these managers guys are getting paid, <laughs> paid millions. Of, if you said, hey, Josh, I'm going to give you five million dollars a year and you're going to go out and you're going to lose most of your games by 15 runs. I'd be fine with that. Get over this. I'm running it up. Who cares? I, I don't get it. What's coming up on your show? Uh, well, I broke my headphones, so Good for you. hopefully I get that fixed in time. There we go. Figure we're back and we're better than ever. Uh, we are going to, of course, we're going to get into the North Carolina news. I mean, Mac Brown talking about it a couple of hours ago and just the, the, the complexity that is whether or not anybody should play college football, but especially given what's happened in Chapel Hill the last couple of days. And yeah, we're going to celebrate Kimba Walker getting a playoff win. How about that? Nice to see Kimba surrounded by some, you know, playoff caliber talent for once. That was fun. Uh, I don't know. What else should we get into? Well, let me ask you this, because you brought up the U.S. We got a lot. <laughs> you, you brought up the, the North Carolina story is the biggest story, you know, in, in this state today. Because, right. well, first of all, it's North Carolina, but also there, I mean, there are very real implications for college football from this. Not just Carolina, but, you know, what other campuses do. Totally. It, it's it's weird because one school of thought is, well, if it's not safe for the regular students, how could it be safe for football players? But the flip side of that is this actually is more conducive to playing college football. It is. Oh, definitely is. I mean, there's ample amount of evidence. You hit the nail on the head earlier. I listened to you as you started the show. And look, if you look at the NBA, if you look at Major League Soccer, if you look at just about any sport in America that's having success, the ones that are having success are the ones who are keeping their players as secluded as possible. Now, obviously, you can't replicate a bubble in college football like you can in the NBA. But the the number one fundamental problem with this entire conversation is the fact that these decision makers and the people in power in college athletics just can't come out and admit that these players generate ton of money for the school and that's why they've got them there and they have to protect that at all costs I, the the line that north carolina has and i don't have it up in front of me i have my notes in my backpack but the line that unc put together when they brought all the kids back about players or, or no, i'm sorry uh students who have oh what was it some sort of um 
the, uh, what was the word? They basically lumped in like international students, students from disadvantaged backgrounds and, and, and athletes <laughs> like lumped in athletes. <laughs> they can stay on campus. It's like, yeah, you're doing this to keep the athletes on campus. Just come out and admit it. That's all. Yeah, that's I, all it's about. It's about money, and that's fine. Yeah, just admit it. We all know it. You know, we're we're comfortable. Just wish one the, person the, would ju- the, would just say it. The problem is they don't need to say it for our benefit because it doesn't matter what we think or know. It's more about you know liability and the future of the business model and the NCAA understanding that the Power Five already looks at them as possibly you know unnecessary. So I, I I'm with you. It's uh, it possibly paves the way to do this more easily, but. Does that open up a Pandora's box that the NCAA does. does not want to get into? In some ways, it does. Have a great show, buddy. Thanks, I appreciate man. you. All right, we got to get out of here. It's been a, a different show, but uh, it's been fun, and I appreciate everybody hanging with us. Uh, we tip our caps each and every day about this time. Did you know the Twin Peaks Lodges are built specifically to make sure fans have the best view from every angle? Get out of your stale living room and get to Twin Peaks for game day. Sports are back, and so is Twin Peaks. Tip of the cap to the FNZ listeners. I got to go. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Wilson and Parcel coming up next. <coughs> Pardon me. This has been the Clubhouse on Sports Radio FNZ. Shake and bake. What does that do? Did that blow your mind? That just <laughs> happened.